0: You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 23, The Return of Mocon, plus Avengers Infinity War.
1: This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy ben-
0: Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 23 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hi,
1: Brian!
0: We're back after a week's or, vacation.
1: We've had a great time, and I know it will surprise our listeners, but yes, I did dye my hair pink. I know you're all <laughs> surprised by it.
0: Uh, you, yeah, you dyed part of it pink, so <laughs> you didn't go completely rebel, so <laughs> just enough so I guess they can, they'll notice it at work. We're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War. Yes. We're not going to do like a blow by blow. I've seen a lot of these reviews where people just for about, you know, 30 minutes to discuss what happens in the movie, which I'm not sure what the point of that is. You could just watch the movie, yeah. but we are going to discuss our feelings about it. And so, and we'll let you know when that happens because it's going to be huge spoilers. And I know there's, Massive. there are still people who haven't seen it yet. I've had friends of mine on Facebook saying they're going to see it today. So oh, wow. there are definitely okay. people who haven't caught it yet. And so if you're one of those people When we mention it, and I'll bring it up again, when we start talking about it, just cut off the podcast, go watch the film, go see it, and then you can come back and hear our views on that. But before we do that... The reason we weren't we didn't post a podcast last Saturday was because we were in Indianapolis for MoCon.
1: Mocon. And Brian, do you want to explain what Mocon is? Because I did not know and it's not a very large con. While not, not being large, it's still there's so much quality. Not quantity, quality oh, yes. in this con.
0: Yeah. Basically MoCon was created by a writer friend of mine, Maurice Bratis, who wanted to talk about when he started out, you know, he's a horror writer, but he writes about race and gender and faith, which makes him not a typical horror writer. But he wanted a convention where where writers could get together, that could talk about those things that you don't always talk about in horror conventions. And so he created Mocon, and it was, uh, I want to say, about 10 years ago? Well, it, w- it would have been 12 years ago, because he skipped a couple of years. Mm-hmm. He He did it for about nine years, and then... He said, This is getting to be too big for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step out from this. And so he quit doing MoCon. And, the, and there was one year. And then the year after that, he's like, Well, you know, maybe I'll just invite people to my house and we'll hang out. Because one thing, people who, if you don't know this about MoCon, you know, you have the convention, it was held at a church or uh, some other building. This small year, venues. a small yeah. venue. A small venue. And then afterwards, you'd always meet up at his house.
1: For the after party. For the after party. Instead of like a regular con where they'd have it like a bar or...
0: Right. You'd just hang out at his house. Mm -hmm. Eh, Not to say there wasn't drinking going on, but you'd hang out in his garage or in his living room, Mm -hmm. hang out, talk to people. It's like I said in the last podcast... It's less of a convention, more like a family reunion.
1: When I had described it to people who have been to various gatherings like this, they said, well, that sounds more like a retreat. And I can see that. I can see it was, this is like a con and a retreat. Mm-hmm. Had a baby. And that is MoCon, like uh, art retreats. And so that's what it really reminded me of.
0: Yeah. And I teased him about this because I went to, we called it no con because <laughs> he wasn't doing a convention. He was just having everybody kind of hanging out. Friends at his house. And I... I looked at Maurice and I said, you, you realize you're going to be doing MoCon next year? He's like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. I'm like, no, the, you're going to have a weekend of hanging out with people and you're going to get the bug again. And that's exactly what happened. Got the bug. And so this year is the 10th MoCon. He'd stopped at nine and he decided to start it up again this year. It took place this year at the most interesting building, I have to say. It's called the, It's called Switchboard. And basically what Switchboard is... It is a community office. It's a place where people in the community can rent out space to work. It goes anywhere from like a table where you can just hook up your PC and work and you can rent that out for a day or so. Or if you want to have like a full office, they have office space where you can, again, you know, you can rent it out for a month or a year but you have the space that they take care of. It's, it's it's really
1: it's like a maker space for digital art. The building itself is really interesting. It's uh, an interesting shape, and there are small sets of stairs and all these little rooms that just seemingly come out of nowhere. You turn a corner and all of a sudden there's a, a large meeting room with like right. ten chairs in it. Just yeah, it hiding. used to
0: it used to be a church. It was a church and a rectory, and they mm-hmm. joined them both together and created this space. What I always enjoy is I always get a nice eclectic group of guests Mm -hmm. you know people from publishing music one thing that i i wasn't aware of and found this out on friday was that indianapolis has a strong hip-hop scene and i'm gonna geek out here a little bit about (laughs) hip-hop so forgive me for this. but the thing about hip-hop if you don't know hip-hop has always had a strong sense of place to it it wasn't always just about the artist but it was also about where they came from their neighborhood their city from the beginning of hip-hop, you talked about uh, Queens was always MC Shan, and Bronx, of course, you know, Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One, and you had that style, and then, of course, it travels over, you know, if you mentioned Compton, there's a, a Compton type of rap. Okay, that
1: uh, sounds more familiar, familiar to me. Was Compton, that more Compton's of a, like, 1990s? The, the, uh, yes, the okay. West Coast, you know, you West had... West Coast, East Coast, you know,
0: about, yes. NW, those are the, yeah, NWA, Snoop Dogg, you know. Those
1: are the things that I remember. Yeah, uh, from my, you know,
0: well, Snoop Dogg was more Long Beach, but they remember him more when, of his working with Dr. Dre, who, of course, mm-hmm. from NWA. And then, of course, you know, you have Nell Inc., Kansas City, and you got Eminem in Detroit. But every, you know, there was a, every kind of a style of music it was really tied to place, and the, they had an artist there performing on Friday, Diop, who was amazing. I never heard about him before. Yeah, the Indianapolis scene—if—if if Diop is any indication about what it is, Indianapolis rappers have a strong sense of lyricism. The subjects they cover in their raps very deep, very thoughtful. I was very impressed with Diop and his performance. And I found out that he has a song on the soundtrack for the Netflix series. She's Got to Have It, the Spike Lee series, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing is based off of his movie. And I guess in episode four, Diop has a he has a track on the on the uh, soundtrack, which I think is really right. awesome.
1: Very. And I really, he was so good. And I would have liked to have got to speak to him, but he was on a tight schedule because the next day he was leaving for London. Yes.
0: Yeah. He was getting ready to He's de- getting ready to leave. And uh, yeah, I got to talk to him for just a minute, at least long enough to say, you know, I really liked your music. And it was fantastic. But yeah, getting to hear him perform was, was really cool. And of course, over the weekend, we had little panels. They don't overrun you with panels because most of the time is really spent talking to each other.
1: Talking to each other, yes. You know, Mm
0: -hmm. but they they had some interesting panels. They had panels on writing people who are not like you. Mm -hmm. They had a nice panel on your art and what you should be charging for it and how much it's actually worth. The takeaway for me on that panel was people are not going to value your art more than you do yourself. At the beginning, you know, it's like if you don't value it that much, if you don't think it's worth that much, nobody else is going to. There's Somebody's not going to come by and validate you past the level that you tend to validate yourself. And I think that's something that as artists we tend to forget because we are looking for validations. Because and what
1: really seemed to be a, an ongoing theme of that panel was everyone who had these experience? someone else was telling... They had named a number, and everyone was telling them, you need to charge more. Yeah. And that's what everyone told them, you need to charge more for this.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because what that reminded me of is a mentor of mine, Eugene Berger, passed away last year. He was talking about what you charge for performing. And he was on a bill with a bunch of different magicians. And he was in that situation where he asked for three figures they told him, you need to ask for four figures and found out that other people on the bill got paid five figures, and he would have been two if he'd have just asked for it.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. It's
0: like everything else. It's like, what is something really worth? It's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do kind of undercut ourselves because artists as a whole, we tend to be very needy and we have <laughs> we have issues with gauging ourselves. Because the thing about it is this especially when you do art for money, when you look at that, it it looks like it's the most egotistical thing ever, because (laughs) what you're basically saying is, what I do is so good, you should pay for the privilege of experiencing Mm -hmm. it. And there's something in our heads that rebels against just the thought of that. And so we very often just undercharge, and we want to do things for exposure, because we're looking for that validation. And we think, hey, if we can just get our name out there and people can see our stuff, then we're on our way. And, you know, people die of exposure. <laughs> so, and that was something that they really hit on to. But there was a lot of panels. There was a lot of discussion, a lot of hanging out with friends, old friends, making new friends. And there was food.
1: Lots of food. Yeah. Yes. The yeah. great stories about this weekend always come back to the food um, and how amazing it was. Yeah, I think well, we had we only had, like, three uh, caterers all together, yeah. oh, but yeah. we had so, it was a vast, we had everything. We had Louisiana food, we had Indian food, we had Italian food, we had so much delicious food.
0: Yeah, there was a ton of it. Uh, one of the caterers was Maurice's sister,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: she and her husband, they have a charity that they run where they cook healthy food and take it into the inner city. where
1: The urban urban yeah. deserts? Yeah, I think the, they're what, called.
0: He calls them the urban deserts. And the reason they're called urban deserts is because these are places where groceries, there's no grocery. No grocery stores. There's like no. Liquor stores. That's there are, all there are. They're like liquor stores mm-hmm. and there's fast food. And that's about the extent of it. So they go in there with healthy home-cooked food so people have a healthy alternative. I mean, it's good food. And the thing is, it's not like they're just giving them salad and, and tofu and, you know, it's like that. just
1: hearty meals. Yeah, these are
0: like, I mean, these are real meals, which I think is amazing. And she's an amazing cook. Mm-hmm. They made jerk chicken for uh, us. They I, The uh,
1: etouffee.
0: Oh, Yes. Mm-hmm. There was so much just amazing food there in fact, the food was so good that at the hotel we were staying they had continental breakfast and I don't think we had one we didn't eat one no. continental breakfast because we were so full
1: <laughs> also full and also the after parties went late into the night and i would have pre- i preferred sleeping in yes. to to going down to breakfast, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I can well, sleep right through that. Well,
0: you know, that the, the funny thing, too, is that a lot of conventions, what they'll do is they'll start up like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 8 o'clock in the morning, and these are people who don't understand how conventions work. Uh, Maurice, <laughs> who's, who's quite the expert when it comes to going to conventions as well as running one, knows that – We need to start around 10 or 11 when people actually (laughs) wake up and want to be involved. (laughs) So I've been to MoCon a couple of times, and I went to NoCon last year. And getting to go back again this year is always great because, especially when when it comes to writing, you kind of forget that there are other people doing this. You're on an island by yourself. I mean, especially Mm -hmm. where I live. If I didn't travel, I would probably see other writers maybe once a year. Mm -hmm. And that's one person. Because a friend of mine, of course, Michael Nost is a writer, and, you know, we get to kind of hang out. But, I mean, being in the company of other writers, I don't have that benefit that a lot of other people do, where they have writer's groups or, you know, in Maurice's case, he has a lot of writers that live in that area. And so getting together is really important as an artist to hang out with your own and kind of remember why it is you do what you do and to have appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. And that's why, for me, I mean, Mocon is is a big deal for me. And I'm glad that I was able to go this year. And I was glad that you came with me because, again, you know, you got had to make some time. new Yeah, you had a good time. You got to make some new friends. You,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And you got to kind of see a side of me that not a lot of my other friends get to see <laughs> because <laughs> you get to you get to see the writer side of me and get to meet some of my friends that don't come down here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is uh, kind of a different situation. So, And so with that said, we're going to spend a few moments talking about the Avengers. Avengers
1: Infinity War.
0: And if, you, in case I forgot to mention this before, spoilers.
1: Spoilers right tons, now.
0: Tons and tons of spoilers. We're not going to, like I said, we're not going to do a play-by-play, beat-by-beat about what mm-hmm. happened in the movie. But Mandy, what did you think about it?
1: I'm satisfied with it. I went and I saw it with my sister, and she was very upset. And she's like, they have got to stop killing Groot. And <laughs> um, and I know so many people were sad and upset by it. But in my mind, I know that this isn't the end. There's more to come. So I know this isn't the be-all, end-all. They can come back. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe not Loki. Well, but-
0: although, I will say this. Somebody said they saw Loki Tom Hiddleston on set for Avengers 4. They saw him mm, filming something.
1: Okay, Could be a flashback, flashback or whatever.
0: Yep. But we haven't seen the last of him. But yeah, I mean, they killed off Black Panther. <laughs> because, yeah, because yeah. they were like, well, that last movie didn't do so well. Uh,
1: uh-huh. They
0: killed off Spider-Man, which I know that they talked to Sony, but there's a twisted <laughs> part of me that kind of wishes that they hadn't done that. It would just have been so much fun for Sony to go, what are you doing? This is like the only <laughs> successful movie we've had in forever. And you d- We let you use the character and you killed <laughs> him, kill him off.
1: But, you know, some of my favorite like interviews are Benedict Cumberbatch covering up Tom Holland's mouth every time he gets ready to do a spoiler. And yeah. I learned on Ellen, Benedict Cumberbatch said he was the only cast member, this entire huge, massive cast, who got to read the script. Yeah, and it. he said it makes sense because Doctor Strange is the one who saw all the outcomes. He saw right. it. So it was good for him to read the whole script, and he said it was like under lock and key, and they had, yeah. had it in a vault, and someone with a briefcase and a handcuff uh, <laughs> attached to their arm came oh, and yeah. got it and took it. because. And
0: then Yeah, they basically they sat there while he read it, and then after he was done reading it, he gave it back to them, they walked out with it. Well, <laughs> I get that because, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy spoilers, which is, of course, one of the reasons why, of course, we announced spoilers, spoilers. because... You don't want to be spoiled at any of this stuff. There, I mean, it's like one big spoiler. It's like one big thing after another over and over again. You got to say, though, about this movie, and we talked about this the last time, but man, you just have to mention Thanos. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, he probably one of the most fleshed out Marvel villains in the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy had depth. He had a reason for doing what he was doing, and he cried
1: in the movie. And it wasn't that he was trying to impress his girlfriend. Yeah, like in the comics. like yeah, we talked I, about over and over. Oh yeah, again. I
0: mean, I think his in his situation, his motivations in in the movie were better than his motivations in the comic book, and I think he's a a more well drawn out character in the movie than he was in the comic. This is one of the situations where I have to say. The book was better than the movie. You know, or I should say, <laughs> the or movie the movie was, was better, better than, than the book. book. Yes. Say the I, we
1: understood what you meant. Yeah. But yeah, Th- Thanos, he was very population control. We need to spay and neuter our pets. <laughs> you know, But you know, the
0: thing about it was what he did, he did it completely random. There wasn't people who could buy their way out of a situation. It wasn't, we're not going to get rid of the, of the lower 99% and save the 1%. It's like rich, poor, wherever you're from, it was like, even it was fair and he felt that it needed to be done you had to prune the plant so mm-hmm. that it could thrive and grow and that was the way that but it was we'll
1: tell you something in the stand the stephen king book they talk about that there are when it comes to like the plague there are two plagues mm-hmm. and this what kind of reminded me of that is that he he killed off half of everyone right. gone psh, you know fly apart like leaves well then comes all the people who die because of the car wrecks, because someone disappeared. Right. The airplane pilot disappeared. Now everyone the on that plane... Or the helicopter pilot, Or the helicopter yes. pilot. So that's your second wave. So he actually was responsible for more deaths than just half the universe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it irons out to close enough to half, I suppose. It's still a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Especially, uh, there's probably trillions upon trillions, hundreds of trillions of, of lives in the universe.
1: So what I'm looking forward to in the next movies, of what I think is going to happen... I, I haven't found anyone who has agreed with me yet. But I feel that because of this, that uh, maybe we'll come back to uh, his girlfriend and that death is going to come in and tell Thanos, you don't have control over this. You didn't think this through and you don't have the right to choose who lives and who dies. Yeah. And then she can bring everyone back.
0: I mean, ultimately, I think that the this movie and the next Avengers movie is going to be an arc for Thanos because, and again, what makes him different is he has all this power, and what does he do with it? He does the one thing that he wanted to do, and then what's he do? He retires. He goes to the farm. <laughs> That's basically mm-hmm. it. He doesn't want to rule the universe. He's like, the universe has a problem. This is the way you have to fix it. I saw what happened to my own planet of Titan. They were all destroyed. The same thing's going to happen to the entire universe unless I do this. He gets the gems together. He creates the Infinity Gauntlet. He snaps his fingers. Half the universe is gone. And he's like, well, that's what I wanted to do. And he just goes off to the floor. Mm-hmm.
1: And I guess that's one of the reasons, like, everyone talks about, oh, I can really, uh, I can identify with Thanos. I can sympathize with him. I can't. Um, <laughs> because I mean, he's a great villain. He's, But he wanted to fix this one problem. Yeah. Didn't think about the problems that he's creating. Right. And now we're going to have entire planets who have lost their leaders, who have lost the only people who knew how to do certain things, the only people with the codes. To nuclear arms, the only people who who were oh, yeah. doctors. He's created all these other problems for the entire universe.
0: Right. Well, that's the problem with the zealot and the fascist. It's like that saying, when all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. Mm-hmm. Of course, Doctor Strange used the time gem and the, the orb of Agamotto to look in the future and see how everything was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not once did Thanos use the time gem to prove his thesis. Before he went to Earth and got the mind gem, he had the power to look into the future and see what would happen should he kill half the universe. He had the ability to do that and see if his plan worked, but he didn't even consider once to do that. That's his fatal flaw, is the fact that he was so driven, that he was doing the right thing, that when he had the power to know 100%, When he could have looked into the future and saw for himself whether this would work or not, he didn't do it. It never occurred to him to do it. And so, to me, that's what makes him interesting as a character, is his true compassion and what he considers compassion. But being kind of blind, Mm
1: -hmm. that his
0: emotion blinded him to the fact that maybe his solution really isn't the best thing. Mm -hmm. And that there were better ways of fixing this problem than his solution to it. Maybe that's something that will continue in his arc in the next Avengers movie, perhaps. He'll get that opportunity to see. okay, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll happen. But we've got a year to wait before that to happen.
1: Uh, we've got more than a year because we know that Captain Marvel is coming out in 2019.
0: Right. It's supposed to be coming out about the same time that Black Panther came out this year. Okay. And it was like a few weeks between Black Panther and Avengers.
1: Mm-hmm. The well, er, and Avengers got an early opening. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: but it's going to be about the same amount of time. My understanding between Captain Marvel, okay, and Avengers, and Avengers. Four,
1: okay,
0: which we'll just go on a side. I'm just going a side mention is a, a sidebar on this is what's really bad for DC because of <laughs> that is guess what they stuck dead in the middle of those two movies Shazam.
1: Oh. Uh.
0: They should consider moving Shazam, I think.
1: hmm
0: Especially with, I don't know how well Aquaman's going to do. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. hmm But Shazam is a popular character, but he's he's not a tier one character. Right. A lot of people my age remember watching live-action Shazam show on, on Saturday morning. But I don't know if he's going to have the cachet that that to is going to be able to survive between really what's going to be two powerhouse films. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, who's going to be the first female Marvel superhero standalone film. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Avengers 4. I don't know if Shazam, even if it's very popular, it's going to get the legs cut out from under it the minute mm-hmm. that Avengers shows up. Avengers 4. So I don't know how long that's going to do. I have to think that Warner Brothers is going to move that movie to give it a better chance. And I think, that, I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The thing about it is... Most people want to release superhero movies in the spring because they seem to do so well in the spring. But it's because Marvel, they've been putting out successful movies and they've been putting them out in the spring. It kind of, you know, it's like what's what came first, Self- the chicken or the
1: self-fulfilling egg? Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's what came
0: first, the chicken or the egg? So the question is then what's warner brothers going to do are they going to think well the spring is just too good a time for superhero movies to move it which i think is going to be a mistake or are they going to move it to be honest if marvel started releasing their films in the fall then the fall would be the time Mm -hmm. when superhero movies do really well so i just don't think that that shazam should stay where it is it needs to be given a chance Mm and I don't think where it's sitting right now it's going to get much of a chance, but I guess we'll find out when we find out if they move it or not. So definitely Avengers Infinity War has set up for the next movie. The next two Marvel movies that we're going to get, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel, because of where they're set in time, the final events of Infinity War are not going to really play into it, Mm -hmm. although we might see an end credit scene at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp that's Mm -hmm. really depressing. Mm -hmm. Somebody might get Mm -hmm. ashed up. Uh, Uh (laughs) It it probably won't be Ant-Man because he is showing up in Avengers 4. I don't know they might ash the Wasp. Wow. It could happen. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what I find so funny is, of course, we made our little predictions about this movie, and we were pretty much all wrong. Everybody was wrong. <laughs> nobody was right. Because nobody expected, first of all, when they were talking about who's going to die. First of all, people thought, well, maybe two or three characters. Uh, more, A lot more than that. And it was going to be either Captain America, Iron Man, or the both of them. And they both wound up surviving. And nobody thought they were going to kill off Spider-Man. And they did. Nobody. Or Black
1: Panther. There was yeah. just nothing. <laughs> there was... There's, I don't even.
0: <laughs> yeah, when Black Panther died, here's like, what. Are funny. you sure? <laughs>
1: are well, you here's, sure? <laughs> the,
0: here's the funny thing about that. To me, is that to me that gave me more hope. If they would have killed off a couple of characters, and they te- they tease killing off Iron Man because he got stabbed. Yeah. But the thing about it is, when, when they killed off. All these characters, including Black Panther, in a sense that... Whose
1: franchises just started. They
0: started. And you know there's there's a Spider-Man 2 coming. You know that they're going to do a second Black Panther. You know they're not leaving these characters dead. And so in a weird way, by being that depressing, they actually became more hopeful. Right. Because you know they're not going to keep them dead. But at the same time, it was like rough to watch. And here's the other thing, too. I don't know if you know this or not. But the scene of Tom Holland when he dies, when Peter Parker dies, Tom Holland ad-libbed the whole thing. All know. they told him was, you're dying, you don't want to go. Go for it. And then he turns into the Tenth Doctor.
1: <laughs> yes. Well,
0: he's British, so mm-hmm. it makes a sense. Well, what would I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. What would David Tennant do in this situation? He'd say, I don't want to go.
1: And you know what Groot said to Rocket, right? Yes, I remember. <laughs> go ahead and tell so go, go ahead and tell him. When Groot says, I am Groot. As he's ashing away, it, as he's talking to Rocket, he says, "Dad." Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh Lord,
0: yeah. It basically kill. It just constantly is just kicking you in the in the fields. In, in, in the fields, junk, kicking your fields right in the junk. That's mm-hmm. what it's doing the whole time. But I do have to say, I'm also really excited to see what happens from this point on because mm-hmm. they have set up something huge. And maybe
1: Shuri will have to take on the mantle of Black Panther.
0: If she's alive.
1: We didn't. Yeah, we didn't see. We
0: didn't see what happened to her. Mm. So I don't know. There might be other casualties we don't know about Mm. uh, when we get to the end. But hopefully Shuri's still around because they're going to need her. They're going to need her. If we've learned anything from Infinity War, it's whatever you think is going to happen. Just wait. You're going to be in for a surprise. (laughs) Definitely. So, again, I don't know what's going to happen But we've got a couple of movies coming up. We've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. It looks like it's going to be a nice palate cleanser to all this depression. (laughs) Maybe up till the very end and something happens. And then we've got Captain Marvel, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Yes. Because, again, Captain Marvel is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful character in the Marvel universe. And and certainly in the Marvel cinematic universe, she is not to be messed with. And I think she's going to play a huge role in what happens in the next Avengers film. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We shall see. And so with that being said, that'll come to the end of this week's episode. Of course, we'll have a lot more things to talk about. Uh, We haven't had a chance to watch Batman Ninja yet, but I think that's coming out on on Blu ray. Mm -hmm. It should be out by now. I'm waiting for my copy to come in, so maybe we can talk about that uh, next week or the week after. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly a lot of geek stuff that's going to be going on. And as it it happens, we'll talk to you guys about it, the geek watchers. And so until next time, for Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding you that we're all geeky about something be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.